All right. Well, today we are in our, our week four of our series called The Eleventh Hour. This is a series that we are doing to look at some of the end-time events. And when I say end-time events, the Bible speaks of end-time events that says that this world, this earth that we have, the heavens and earth that we have are not going to last forever. That one day that God will make a new heaven and a new earth and we will live uh, forever with the Lord for those of us who've given our lives to Him. And so this series is really looking at some of the things that, that the Bible says will happen in the last days. And the 11th hour is, is symbolic of midnight being the return of Christ when this world is, is, is over. And so we're living in this final hour uh, right before the Lord comes back. For those of you that's been here throughout the series, congratulations. You guys have, uh, have got the, 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 the Faithful Attendance Award. If you've missed one of these weeks, you can go online to our uh, website, myrefuge.church, and, and get caught up on these. But in week number one, we looked in Matthew chapter 24, and we looked at some of the signs that Jesus said uh, would be evidence that His return is near. Week number two, we looked at the rapture of the church when uh, every born-again believer will be removed from this earth and will forever be with the Lord. Uh, last week was probably our most challenging week in the fact that there's just a lot of information that I gave you, and that was we looked at the coming world uh, ruler known as the Antichrist and what, what his um, role will be. And today... We are going to conclude this by looking at a snapshot or an overview of the entire book of Revelation. Yeah, just look at your neighbor and say, this is going to be fun. This is going to be really fun. Now, Revelation is one of those books that most people stay away from just because it, is a, it can be a very difficult book to read. And it's difficult because it is filled with symbolism. Symbolism that represents future realities. And when, well, when, when John, and we're going to find that out here in a minute, but when John was writing the book of Revelation, he was describing what he was seeing. And he was, he was, he was writing out exactly what it looked like to him. Now, if it would have been written today, maybe the symbolism would be different. But nonetheless, the, the uh, book of Revelation is an apocalyptic book. It's not like any other book in the Bible. It's apocalyptic in the fact that it's prophesying doomsday or the destruction of the world and things to come. And it, it is impossible to do a series on the end times without at least mentioning and referencing Scripture from the book of Revelation. Because that's what it is about. And so today we are going to do 22 chapters in about 40 minutes. Okay? So I'm going to give you a lot of information. I'm going to speak fast, so you guys have to listen fast, okay? But this will be very informative. I think that you're going to learn a lot this morning. There's a lot of people who will shy away from even reading the book of Revelation. A lot of preachers and teachers shy away from the book of Revelation because it's, it's difficult. However, I want to show you one scripture in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. The Bible says this, that all scripture, everybody say all scripture. That includes the book of Revelation, right? All scripture is God-breathed and is what? It is, it is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God, that's us, may be what? May be thoroughly equipped... For every good 
work. So all scripture, even the book of Revelation, is God-breathed. And it is given and is useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness so that we may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Not only is it God-breathed and useful, but the Bible actually says in the very first chapter of Revelation, it teaches us that we are blessed if we read it and listen to it. I want to show you this. Revelation chapter 1, verse 1 through 3, it says, The revelation from Jesus Christ which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw. That is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Look at this, verse 3. Blessed, everybody say blessed. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy And blessed, everybody say blessed, Blessed. are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it because the time is near. So just let me ask you before I go any further, how many want to be blessed? (laughs) I think we all do. Blessed is the one who reads it, listens to it, and takes to heart what is written in this prophecy. So I don't want to shy away from it. I want to be blessed. So right now, I want to begin this overview of the book of Revelation, a a Cliff Notes version, if you will, 22 chapters in hopefully 40 minutes. Don't don't look at your neighbor and say, that's that's too long. Just, I'm going to give you an overview. I'm going to break this down in five sections if you're taking notes, and I want to give you some things to look for in each one of those sections. But before we begin these uh, five sections, I first want to look at who wrote it, when it was written, and why it was written. Okay? First of all, who wrote it? The Apostle John wrote the book of Revelation in the year 96 AD. Now, some say 95, 95, 96, somewhere in there. None of us were alive then, but that's when the book of Revelation was written. The Apostle John, the Apostle John was the last living of the original 12 disciples of Jesus. He is the only one of the original 12 who died a natural death from old age. He was the leader of the Ephesian church community. He was persecuted by Caesar Augustus and exiled to the Isle of Patmos. I'm sure many of you who've been in church for a while, you, you, you've heard that before, the Isle of Patmos. Isle is simply, it's not one of these isles, it's short for island. He was exiled for, for preaching the gospel. He was exiled by Caesar Augustus to an island on his own. And it was on this, on this island where he received this revelation of Jesus. And I want to say that, and this is, this is really not that big of a deal, but, I, and I find myself saying this wrong uh, many times. It's, it's the book of Revelation, not Revelations. It's not a showstopper, but we need to understand it's one revelation. It's, it's, it's the revelation of Jesus that was given to John, okay? And there may, may be some times, even today, I might say revelations, but it's just by habit. So don't be like, ah! It's revelation, okay? So, so it was written by the Apostle John in 96 AD. Why was it written? We see in verse number 1 and 3 why revelation was written. It says this, The revelation from Jesus Christ which God gave him, here's why, to show his servants what soon must take place and to show them that the time is near. 
So why was it written? It was written to show the servants of God, which is us, of all the things that are to come. And to show us how close we are to the end of the world. So the book of Revelation is the vision of Jesus that John receives when he was visited by an angel on the Isle of Patmos. In section number one, which includes chapters one through three, if you're taking notes, write that down. Section one includes chapters one through three. And the message is this, that Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega. Now, I'm trying to help you here because when you read the book of Revelation, as you read these five different sections, I want you to keep in mind the theme of that section. It makes it a little bit uh, more easy to understand. That the Alpha and Omega. Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega. Look at Revelation chapter 1, verse 7 and 8. It says this, Look, He is coming with the clouds. Kind of cool that that was the opening line of our first song this morning. He's coming on the clouds. He's coming with the clouds and every eye will see Him, even those who pierced Him. And all peoples on earth will mourn because of Him. So shall it be. Amen. Look at this. I am the what? I am the Alpha and the Omega. Now, these are not Greek sororities or fraternities. This Alpha and Omega... Sorry, I'm just trying to throw some humor in there. Alpha and Omega is, is the first and last letters of the Greek alphabet. If it was, if it was written as, a, as an English um, um, analogy, it would be I am A and I am Z. I'm the first and I am the last. In other words, everything begins and ends... With Jesus. Begins and ends with Jesus. He says, I am the Alpha and Omega, says the Lord God. Watch this. Who is and who was and who is to come. I am the Almighty. So John is... He has this vision from, from Jesus, and he, he, he sees this, this, this angel that's speaking to him. And in verse 11, he says, I want you to write in a book everything that you see and send it to the seven churches in Asia Minor. Now, your Bible doesn't say Asia Minor. It actually lists out all seven churches, but I shorten that up for you to let you know that, that the angel says, I want you to send this message to the churches, that I am the Alpha and the Omega, and that I am coming soon. And when John turns to see who is speaking, he sees the Lord and he gives a description of him in verse number 14 and 18. He says, the hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like a blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. Now those seven stars, you're going to find out if you keep reading those seven stars, are the seven angels to the seven churches or the messengers to those churches. And he says, And coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. Verse 17, When I saw him, what did he do? He says, I fell at his feet as though I was dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and he said this. These are the words of Jesus to John. Do not be afraid. I am the first... And the last, I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. In other words, John is seeing this revelation, and it starts out by Jesus declaring, John, I, I am, everything begins and ends with me. I am the Alpha and Omega. I am the first, and I am the last. I am the one who was dead, and now I am alive, and because I overcame, I now have the keys to death, hell, and the grave. 
I am the Alpha and the Omega. So, so Jesus tells John to write these letters to the church. And you can read about these in chapters uh, 2 and 3, I believe, where, where John is writing individual letters to literal churches. These were literal churches at the time of the writing. Uh, but they also represent conditions of individuals today or conditions of churches today. And he's addressing these conditions or these issues and he's writing these letters because he wants them to know, I'm the Alpha and Omega. I was, and, or I, I was and, and am, and I'm going to be the one to come, and I am coming soon. So he's trying to prepare the church to be ready. And when you come to chapters 4 and 5, it begins, chapter 4 begins with what I believe is a picture of the rapture of the church. Now this is my personal opinion. I told you that when we preached on uh, the rapture of the church in, um, in week number two. We know that Jesus is coming, okay? Uh, there's no arguing that. We know He's coming. When He's coming, there's a lot of argument uh, as to before the tribulation, middle of the tribulation, or post-tribulation. Um, I believe He's coming before the tribulation. That's just my opinion. And I believe that this right here is a supportive argument for that because John is describing the church age Chapters 1 through 3, he's writing to the churches. And then all of a sudden in verse number 1 of chapter 4, it says this, After this I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had heard speaking, first speaking to me, like a trumpet said this. He says, come up here. I believe, that's a picture of the rapture. And I will show you what must take place after this. After what? After the church age. We are living in the church age today. Christ established his church. He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I believe there's coming a day when the church is taken out. We'll no longer be living in the church age. So the church is with the Lord and then the tribulation begins. Verse number two says, at once I was in the spirit and there before me was a throne. Here's what he's seeing. He's caught up into heaven. He now sees a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby, a rainbow that shone like an emerald encircled the throne. He's describing the eternal Father. He's describing the Creator, God Almighty. That's who he sees. Verse 4, Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them, this is important, were 24 elders. Now I told you, it's filled with symbolism, okay? So you can't read this literally. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. I believe the 24 elders is a representation of the church. The Old Testament saints and the New Testament saints. 12 and 12, the, the 12 tribes of Israel from the Old Testament, the 12 uh, disciples in the, uh, in the New Testament. I believe it's a representation of the church. Some suggest that it's a representation of angels. I don't believe that because they're sitting on thrones, which is symbolic of them ruling and reigning. And there's nowhere in Scripture that talks about angels ruling or sitting on thrones. However, in several places, the church is said to rule and reign with Christ. Also, the word elders is never used to refer to angels. It's used to refer to men who are who are aged or, you know, they're, they're elders, they're, they're older. And so that wouldn't apply to angels, only to men. But the most convincing evidence that this is indeed the church is what the elders are wearing. They're wearing white robes. Now, I know that angels appear in white and it's described that way in the Bible, but I believe that this is the redeemed 
of Christ, the righteous ones, those who have given their life to Jesus Christ, that is who these 24 elders are. They're clothed in white and they are wearing crowns, the victor's crowns. They have overcome. That is who this is. These, these 24 elders surrounding the throne. And the message in chapters 4 and 5, which is section 2, by the way, the message in chapters 4 and 5 is that Jesus is the Lamb of God. Section 1 is 1 through 3, Jesus is the Alpha and Omega. Section 2, which is chapters 4 and 5, is Jesus is the Lamb of God. John continues describing this vision. He sees God holding a scroll that is sealed with seven seals. Now this is where, I don't want to say it gets weird, but it, it, it gets weird. But he sees, he sees this picture of, uh, of God. Remember, it's a revelation. So he sees God holding this, this seal, this rolled up piece of, or excuse me, this scroll, this rolled up piece of paper, and it has seven seals on this scroll. And John writes about this. He says, as I'm looking around heaven, I found no one who was worthy to open the scroll. And he wants to know what's inside because really this is, this is like the last Will and testament, if you will. No pun intended there, but it's, it's, like, it's like the final declaration of what's going to happen. And John wants to know what's inside there. But no one is worthy to open the scroll, so he begins to weep. He begins to cry. Let's pick up this reading in, in chapter 4 of Revelation chapter 5. He says, I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. What has he done? He has triumphed. He's talking about Jesus. He has triumphed. He is the one who is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Look at verse 6. Then I saw what? Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Now, most Bible commentators believe that the seven spirits of God are symbolic of the Holy Spirit. Seven represents perfection, it represents completion, and he goes out throughout the earth drawing people to Jesus, drawing people to the Lamb. Verse number seven, the Lamb went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Now these four living creatures, I believe there's some type of, of order of angels. There's, there's not a whole lot that is... Um, that is documented on that, um, but I believe it's some type of order of angels. But their worship of the Lamb is clearly directed towards Jesus Christ, who is the Lamb. He goes on to say, Each one of them had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchase for God persons from every tribe, every language, every people, and every nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Verse 11, Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousands times ten thousand. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. Watch this. In a loud voice, they were saying what we were singing a while ago. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. He's worthy to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. 
Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and on that and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. Jesus is the Lamb of God and the only one who is found worthy enough to open the scroll. Now, I know, and I need to, I don't need to make a disclaimer. I'm not trying to apologize for the word, but if this is your first time ever to come to church and you're hearing this, um, not every message is like this. It just happens to fall with what we're studying this this, uh, this month, is the end times. And so when we do the end times, we have to talk about the, Revel- the book of Revelation, which is a symbolic book. But I'm trying to give you an overview and a breakdown to where when you're reading the book of Revelation, you'll have a theme to keep in mind in each one of the sections as you're reading those chapters. So sections, or excuse me, chapters 4 and 5, Jesus is the Lamb of God. Then you come to chapter number 6 through 18, and this is where things get really crazy. Chapters 1 through 3, chapters 4 and 5, are, you know, there's some symbolism, but you can kind of make sense of things. But then you get to chapters 6 through 18, and it, it, it really gets crazy. But here's what you need to understand in chapters 6 through 18. Write this down if you're taking notes. Section 3, chapters 6 through 18, the theme is this, that Jesus is the righteous judge. Jesus is the righteous judge, and He righteously judges the earth. Now, before we look at how He judges the earth, let let me give you some highlights from this section, because this is like, what is that, 13 chapters. Okay, We've only covered five so far. 13 chapters. I'm not going to read from every single chapter, but I want to give you some highlights. If you want to write these down, you can, but you're going to have to write quick, because they're going to be on the screen just for a little bit. But here are some highlights. Now, there are more highlights than this. These are just some things that I wanted to, to point out. Chapter number 11, we see that the temple is, of Israel is rebuilt. Now, we don't have an exact date or exact timing of when it's going to be rebuilt, but it will be rebuilt. Um, I told you last week, um, at the beginning of the tribulation period, there will be a signing of a peace treaty by the Antichrist. It says that he will confirm the covenant with, with God's people, which will allow this temple to be rebuilt. So, We don't know when exactly it's going to be rebuilt, but we do know that it will be built sometime during the seven-year tribulation period. In Revelation 13, uh, verses 1 and verses 14 through 16, we read about the Antichrist, how how he rises and institutes the mark of the beast. We touched on that lightly uh, last week. Th- this is for you to go home and study, okay? This is homework for you. I'm not going to sit here and spill all of this today, but go home and look this up and research it out. Uh, chapter 13, we see that the Antichrist is killed and raised to life. Now, there's some, there's some um, I don't want to say speculation, but there's a lot of commentary um, that is out there that debates whether or not he really dies or if it's some sort of trickery to mislead people to make them think that he dies but nonetheless people are going to think that he is dead and he will be uh, raised to life then you get to the my favorite part you read in revelation chapter number 11 about the two witnesses now this one um somebody needs to contact marvel and uh have them do a a movie about the two witnesses because these are some bad dudes now um, who these people are, it really is irrelevant. I personally believe it's Elijah and Moses, or Elijah and Enoch. Some people believe because they were people that were taken uh, without dying. But, but either way, whoever that they are, they're two witnesses that are sent 
during the tribulation period to proclaim that all of the things that are happening, all the destruction and disasters and, and uh, the wrath that's being poured out, they're here to proclaim that these things are coming from God and they're here to warn the people that, that um, eternal destruction awaits them if they don't repent. And these are some bad dudes. You read that if anyone tries to harm them, they have been given the power to do whatever they want to those people. They, they've been given the power to shut up heaven if they want. I mean, these are some, some bad dudes. And then, then after they've been um, on the earth for a while doing their witnessing, the Bible says that they're going to be killed and that their bodies will lie in the streets of Jerusalem for three and a half days. But then after three and a half days, God is going to raise them from the dead. And the Bible says that the whole world will watch it. It's, it's cool stuff. Go read it. And then um, Revelation chapter 17 and Daniel chapter 7 verse 24 also alludes to this, that the Antichrist is going to assassinate world leaders and move towards a one world government. We talked about that a little bit last week. And then finally, uh, verse, or chapter 16, Antichrist is defeated at the battle of Armageddon. So those are just a few of the highlights between chapter 6 and, and uh, 18. There are other things that happen but, but the main thing that you need to keep in mind as you're reading chapters 6 through 13 is that Jesus is the righteous judge. And as the righteous judge, there are three different judgments that are issued upon the earth. The first um, set of, of judgments is what's called the seal judgments. You read about this in Revelation chapter 6 through, uh, through chapter 8, verses 1 and 2 there. The seal judgments, it's, I mean, these are some things that happen. Uh, you read about the four riders of the apocalypse, the moon's turned to blood, bloodshed from war, a quarter of the earth, that's 25% of the world dies from famine, plagues, and wild beasts. I mean, this, this, it's going to be crazy. And then the second set of judgments is called the trumpet judgments. You read about this in, in Revelation 8 and, and 11 there. Things that happen in this Judgment is hail and fire mixed with blood fall from the sky. Poisonous locust attack. A third of vegetation is destroyed. A third of water is contaminated. A third of the sea creatures dies. A third of all light is lost. And a third of the world dies. I mean, this is, this is, this is crazy. This is God pouring out His wrath on the earth. And what's even more crazy than just reading about this is even after... Many of these judgments are poured out. The Bible says that there are still people who refuse to repent. Matter of fact, let me just read that to you. Revelation chapter 9, verses 20 and 21. It says, The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues, look at this, still did not repent of the work of their hands. But here's the good thing, is that God's grace was still there to save people. Remember we read about this uh, in the Scripture that says that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But even after these judgments, there are still people who refuse to repent. It says they did not stop worshiping demons and idols of gold, silver, bronze, stone, and wood. Idols that cannot see or hear or walk. Verse 21, Nor did they repent of their murders, their magic arts, their sexual immorality, or their thefts. There are some people who are so consumed with themselves that, 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 they, that repentance is the farthest thing from their mind. And even after all these judgments thus far, people still did not repent. And then you come to the third set of judgments. Revelation chapter 16 talks about the bowl judgments. 
Um, in these judgments, sores appear on the people with the mark of the beast. Water turns to blood and everything in it dies. Sun scorches people. Devastating earthquakes hit. Hundred pound hail crashes to the earth. I mean, this is, this is, this is, this is bad stuff. But, it's, but it's, it's God pouring out His wrath on this sinful, wicked, evil world. Now, a lot of people read this right here and they think, that's not fair. That's, that's not fair. How could a loving God do this? That, that's not fair. I thought He was a God of love. Well, He is a God of love. But He's also a God of justice. And, and you can't really be a true loving God if you don't, um, if you don't provide justice. What I mean by that is this. There's a lot of times, and, and it's happened in your life, you've ever seen things happen, you read about things on the news, you read about maybe sex trafficking or, or some kids getting raped or some kids getting kidnapped and, and all this stuff, and, and you may have said, that's not fair. I'm sure we've said that, right? Like, how can, how can that person get away with that? It's not, it's not fair. Okay? Well, you may be the type of person today that says, well, well, this right here isn't fair. Well, it's also not fair that people get away with doing the evil that they do today. But the Bible says that vengeance is mine, says the Lord. And what we just read about, these, these three sets of judgments, is, is God pouring out His, His wrath on this world. It's the time in history where, where God avenges all evil and all wickedness. See, right now we are preserved because He poured out His wrath on Christ Jesus. And all of those who are in Christ have already been judged. But one day He's going to judge the entire world and all of its evil and all of its wickedness. And this is, this, this is, this is God doing this. this he's, his wrath is being poured out on the world. But He is a righteous judge. Look at Revelation 16 verses 5-7. through seven. This is still John describing this vision. He says, I heard the angel in charge of the waters say this, You are just in these judgments. He says, you're, you're, you're right for doing this. You, you are just in these judgments. O Holy One, you who are and who were, for they have shed the blood of your holy people and your prophets, and you have given them blood to drink as they deserve. Verse 7, and I heard the altar respond, yes, Lord God Almighty. Watch this. True and just are your judgments. Once again, this is the time in history where God avenges all evil. The time where God judges the world for all of its sinfulness. We get pictures of this in the Old Testament with the stories of Lot and Noah. How God judges a city how God judges the, the earth. I mean, you remember the story of Noah uh, specifically where he looked on the earth and, and he didn't find any righteous except for, for, for Noah and his family. And he destroys the whole world except for those who would get in the ark. And for those of you that, that like Bible studies, the ark is a picture of Jesus. It's a picture of salvation. But he never poured out his wrath. He never destroyed the earth without a warning going forth first. He never destroyed the earth or He never uh, uh, poured out wrath without providing an escape plan for the righteous. And so this is, this is what He's doing with us today. That When we're in Christ Jesus, there is an escape plan. We are, we are preserved. We are safe because we are in 
Christ. So in, in section 3, he is the righteous judge. Then you get to section 4, which is chapters 19 and 20. And in these chapters, Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. As you read through this, that's what you need to remember. Jesus is the King of kings and Lord of lords. Revelation 19, 11 through 17. I know I'm reading a ton of scripture today, but that's okay. Because if my message bombs, at least you will have gotten a lot of word in you. Amen. Revelation 19, 11 through 17 says this. This is still John. He's describing this vision. I saw heaven standing open and there before me was a white horse. We read this last week. Whose rider is called faithful and true. He's speaking of Jesus now. With justice, he judges and wages war. His eyes are like a blazing fire and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood and his name is the Word of God. Remember John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. Verse 14 says, and the Word became flesh and dwelt amongst. The Word is Jesus. Verse 14, the armies of heaven, this is us. This is, this is when we become cowboys and cowgirls. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written. Look at this. The King of kings and the Lord of lords. So when he comes back the second time and comes to establish his kingdom, there's going to be no mistake in who the real person in charge is. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And then chapter 20 concludes with what's called the millennial reign. It's a, it's a thousand year um, uh, time of peace where, where Satan is bound and uh, cast into the bottomless pit. And the church returns with Jesus to rule and reign the earth during this thousand year period. And then after this thousand years is up, Satan is going to be loosed for a short season uh, to try to deceive those who, who, who survived the tribulation and who uh, were born during this time. Uh, and then after that, you're going to have the, uh, the great white throne judgment. You and I as believers in Christ will not be at that judgment. The great white throne judgment is when all the dead is, is raised to give an account for their life and, and, and those whose names were not found written in the book of life will be cast into the lake of fire. So Jesus is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And then we finish in chapters 21 and 22. And in these chapters, here's the theme, Jesus is the bridegroom who takes his bride to the heavenly city. Revelation 21, verses 9 through 10 and verse 23 says this, One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and said to me, Come and I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high, and he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. A place of, of no more tears, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more sickness, no more death. Verse 23, it says, This is a city that does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. Now, here's what I want you to know about this. Most people, when they hear the, uh, the word revelation, they automatically think about judgment. Okay, When someone says, well, I don't read the book of Revelation because it's filled with judgment. It is. It is a book that's, that has judgment. 
but, it, but it's also a, a bookend, if you will, for the beginning and the end, how, 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 this, how creation begins in paradise, how the Bible begins in paradise, and it ends in paradise. So it's a, it's a bookend, if you will, of, uh, of hope that lets us know that, that, hey, we are the bride of Christ, that one day we're going to live with God forever in a place called paradise. More than judgment on the evil doers, Revelation is a book about hope for those who are faithful followers of Jesus Christ. So when we talk about this, we, we shouldn't live with fear. We shouldn't live um, being afraid or being filled with fear and anxiety, but we should live filled with, with hope to know that Jesus is, is coming back for His bride, which is us, the church. The wife of the Lamb. Now, I know if you're a man, that's a little weird because we don't want to be a wife, but this is, this is one time when you want to be a wife. The wife of the Lamb. I can ask you this morning, what pains or hardships have you suffered? What broken relationships have you wept over? How has death's sword struck your heart and affected you? Because in whatever ways that you've been broken, whatever hardships that you've dealt with, Revelation promises us a world without pain, a world without tears, a world without death, a world without sickness, a world without sorrow and heartache. Revelation reminds us that there is indeed hope beyond the momentary trials of this life. One day the darkness will pass away and we will all dwell in perpetual light. My question this morning, and it, it's been this, this same question throughout each of the weeks of this series, my question is, are you ready? Are you prepared? Because we are indeed living in the final hour. We are indeed living in the 11th hour. Jesus, remember, Jesus gave this revelation to John to announce that His coming was what? Was near. Jesus gave us the book of Revelation so that the servants of God would know what things to look for. And in verse number 7 of Revelation 22, I love this, Jesus says this, He says, I am coming soon. Next slide, please. Look, I am coming soon. Soon. You guys awake back there? Oh, it won't let you click it. All right. Technology. Take my word for it. Revelation 22, verse 7. Jesus says this, Look, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy written in this scroll. Jesus tells us. He, he shows John all of this, and then he finishes with this. He says, look, I've showed you all this so that you can let my servants know that I'm coming soon. And blessed are the ones who keep the words that are written in this scroll. And then in verse 17 of chapter 22, it says, The Spirit and the bride say, Come. Come, come Lord Jesus. And let the one who hears, that's us today, say, Say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who wishes to take the free gift of the water of life, let them come. In other words, God's grace and God's mercy is being, being poured out today to all of us. Come. 
Come, come to the waters. The, 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 the waters of life, Christ is, is the water of life. He has this for us. He says, I'm the bread of life. I'm the water of life. He that drinks from me will never thirst again. He is the answer to all that we need this morning. And when we've given our, listen, when we've given our life to Jesus Christ, we have been sealed by the Holy Spirit. We are on our way to heaven. And then we should have this longing, like John writes about, that the Spirit inside of us, the Holy Spirit inside of us, and the bride, which is us, say, come Lord Jesus. Are you longing for His return this morning? Is your life right with Christ today? I mean, are you ready for Christ to come back? If the answer is, no, I'm really not because I've got some things that I'm trying to work out. I've got some other things that I want to accomplish. I'm, I'm telling you that, that then you haven't met this Jesus that I read to you about this morning. Because when He comes into your life, there is a change. There's a transformation. There's a longing to want more of Him. There is a longing to be in His presence. There is a longing to to, to, to want to meet the one who saved you, the one who was slain, the Bible says, from the foundation of the earth. He took your price. He paid the penalty for your sin so that you could escape this eternal destruction of hell. And just like if I was burning up in a house fire and somebody came in and, and, and saved me, I would be forever indebted to that person. I mean, if I saw them out and about and they were at a restaurant, I would buy their lunch. I would, I would do everything that I can to try to repay them. I would want to meet them. I'd want to see them. This is the person that saved my life. How much more on a grander scale, the one who saved us from eternal damnation. Who set aside, the Bible says, all of His deity. Who did not cling of His role as God, or did not think of His, his deity with God as something to cling to. But He humbled Himself as one of us and took on the humble position of a slave, as a servant, as a human being and died in our place so that we could become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. As we conclude this series this morning, as we talk about the end times, the question lingers, are, are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready to meet Jesus? Because He's coming. He's coming. If you're not ready this morning, it's... It's not a long, drawn-out process. All you got to do is repent of the way that you've been living. Admit, you know, I, I'm a sinner. And what makes you a sinner is, is not the family you were born into or not the things that you've done. The, what makes you a sinner is that you have not given your life to Jesus. You've not repented of your sins. You've been living your life to please yourself. And you fall short of God's standards for holiness. And the way you become a Christian, the way you give your life to Christ is say, Lord, I'm sorry for the way that I've been living my life. I, I admit and I realize that I am a sinner because I have fallen short of your mark, your standard. And today I repent and I ask you to be the Lord and Savior of my life. And if you're here this morning you've never done that, I beg of you today, before you walk away, before you leave this place this morning, that you would say that. Whether you say that uh, at the altar this morning, whether you say that in your seat, or whether you say that in the parking lot, that you make a declaration today, Lord, I repent of my sin. Forgive me. Come into my life. I believe you're the only way to heaven and I receive you today. Let me pray for you and then we're going to change the order of the service. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much, Lord, for this time that we've been able to hear your word. God, I know that today as we have read from the book of Revelation, Lord, there's a lot of things that we read that maybe to a lot of people and, and even myself, God, is, is unclear. There's a lot of things that, um, that we try to let Scripture define Scripture. There's a lot of things, God, that's kind of 
left to just um, um, going by principles that are in the Bible that we try to rely on. But, but nevertheless, God, no matter, no matter what we believe about when you're coming, it's before the tribulation, during the tribulation, after the tribulation, God, the fact is, is that we know that you're coming. And your, your word tells us that you're coming. So ultimately, God, we've got to be ready for when your time comes. And so, Father, I just ask that today that for anyone that's in this room today who does not know you as their Lord and Savior, who is not ready for you to come, I pray that before this day is over, God, that they would call upon the name of the Lord and ask you, Lord, to save them, that they would repent of their sin and turn to you. God, do not let them go another day, Lord, without asking your forgiveness. Lord, let them this morning be compelled by the Spirit of God to draw them to you, Lord, that they would repent so that they would know, God, that they are eternally sealed by you and that when you do come, Lord, that they are going to be with you forever. Thank you for your provisions. Thank you that you're the King of kings. You're the righteous judge. You're the Alpha and the Omega. God, you're the bridegroom who's coming back for your church. God, we thank you for that this morning. And we give you praise. Lord, this service is not about us. It's not about the name of this church. It's not about our praise team. It's not about our volunteers. It's all about Jesus Christ. And we worship you today. In Jesus' name, amen.